Welcome to episode 105 of the Average Chiefs Podcast. I'm Dale Lobo Peters with me tonight. No Todd. Todd, once again, is a busy man. So, Todd, salute to you. We'll see you next time. We'll talk to you next time on episode 106, the Joe Pro Cup, or I don't even know who was six is. <laughs> episode. <laughs> JK Scott, right? Yeah, JK. Still putting in the NFL, which is a miracle. Uh, thanks to Rhonda and the folks at RNN Management. And thank you, Cynthia. I, I told Cynthia, who works with Rhonda at RNN Management. Thank you, Cynthia, for listening to the podcast on your long drives to Manitowoc. If you're listening right now, I hope that your drive to Manitowoc feels a lot better and a lot faster than it actually is. Uh, thanks to Dan and the folks at Bob Anderson Builders. And thanks to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. Him and I talked about the custom shoes the other day so that's a go and he's already got ideas for that so that's super cool if you are listening to us for the first time we are raffling off custom shoes from dwight at ddgcustoms.com in your size when you win there is a link that i put on the twitters probably once a week i put it up today on tuesday which is giving tuesday uh, i'd like to make over a thousand dollars for veterans outreach so if you're listening and you don't have that link, send me a message on Twitter at Cheese. You can email us, avgcheese at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the internet, www.avgcheese.com. And correct me if I'm wrong, you don't have to be a Packers fan, although if you're not a Packers fan, I'm not sure why you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> but, but you don't have to be a Packers fan to win those shoes. They can be customized in any team. Is that right? That's correct. Not only can they be customized for any team, if you all of a sudden wanted like, I don't know, you're a Marvel Comics guy or you're a Batman guy or something like that. Dwight has done, in fact, on DDGCustoms.com for Dwight's website, he has a Venom, like a pair of Venom shoes from the movie Venom. So, yes, you can have them in anything you want. I mean, we'd love them to be Packers shoes, but if you don't like the Packers and you're listening to our podcast for whatever reason, <laughs> God bless you. Because <laughs> you just put three cents in the jar for veterans outreach for no reason at all. I hope we're entertaining, even though we're going to talk about the Packers. So thank you for that, Peter. Yes, it can be any kind of custom shoes you want if you don't want them to be Packer shoes. And they will be Air Force Ones in your size because I will reach out to you and find out what size shoe you wear. Peter, episode 105. 105. So the five from a Packers fan perspective can only be Paul Horning. I think when you see that number five, you think of Horning. He was a great football player, Heisman Trophy winner, the only Heisman Trophy winner to play on a losing team at Notre Dame in 56. Packers first round draft pick, first overall pick in the draft in 57. NFL MVP in 1960, 61, MVP of the championship game. Set the NFL record in 1960 for points in a season, 176 in a 12-game season. You know, and, and everybody pictures him, I guess, as we know him as golden boy, the, the, the do-everything halfback, you know, running that Lombardi sweep, catching passes out of the backfield, was an excellent pass receiver out of the backfield. One of the most underrated and one of the best blocking backs, certainly in Packers history. And I know that Vince Lombardi really rated him for that. Would throw the halfback option pass as well. Shouldn't forget that. Vince really saw him as that a great back inside the 20 in the red zone, right at the goal line. You know, it was almost a a good back between the 20s and then a great back in the red zone. Knew how to find the, the end zone. And of course, probably 
for Packers fans who know the stories, is as famous for his off-the-field antics, leading Max McGee astray, or Max McGee leading Paul Horning astray, depending on who was telling the stories. But, you know, he you know really was everything and, and just a great, great name in Packers history. And the number five jersey, not officially retired by the Packers, but Vince actually did make an announcement in 1967 to retire that number. And yet it's never officially been retired. So occasionally we've had players pop up since Paul's days. Not many, but occasionally wearing the number five for a little while. Even Don Mikowski wore number five for a while in his rookie season before switching to number seven. But it's one of those jerseys, even if it isn't officially retired, should never be worn by another hacker. It is Paul Horning's number. And another one of those guys here, we've talked about a number of these guys that, that are just a a part of Packers history, just a super, super guy from that Lombardi era. Did Paul Horning kick in that season that he scored? Yes, he did. Okay. Yeah. I thought he had, but I couldn't remember that for sure. And Paul Horning is also famous for the whole gambling thing. You know, part of the off the field stuff, he was suspended for the 1963 season, along with Detroit's Alex Karras. Although he was, you read all the books and listen to the stories, Horning was certainly one of, if not Vince Lombardi's favourite player and favourite guy, even though his personality was completely different to Lombardi. Lombardi just loved it. But the story goes, Pete Rosell called Lombardi to see him at some point in either late in 62 or early in 63 and basically put a put a, a file in front of Lombardi talking about the gambling stuff and Vince read through it and put the file back down and said to Pete Rosell, Pete, you know what you have to do. And wow. he, there was no... There was no and it said a lot about Vince. And and, and I guess, you know, he, he was suspended for that 63 season and then came back in, in 64. Packers won championships again in 65 and 66. And and then I think the other story with Lombardi is Horning missed most of that 67 season with a neck injury, 66 season with a neck injury. There were questions about whether he would play again going into 67. And the Saints were an expansion team and, and Horning was left off the protected list. Um, for the expansion draft in 67 and the Saints took him in that draft and there's a story and I can't remember which player it may even have been Jerry Kramer but they saw Vince in the office the same day and Vince was just about in tears that the Saints had taken Horning in that expansion draft he never played for the Saints was never fit enough to play it to play again but it says a lot about Horning and Lombardi and the relationship that that they had and you know he was a continued, as we all well know, to be a well-known part of the Packer community, in inverted commas, all the way through to his untimely death a couple of years, a couple of years ago. You know, he was always there for the for the reunions and that kind of stuff and was just, just part of the great Packers history. You know, you've said that a lot about a lot of guys in the Packer organization, which is really cool, right? That the Packers are an organization where people are feel comfortable to come back to over and over and over again. And a lot of Lombardi's guys, right? I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's easy to see why those guys came back from the story you just told about Horning and Lombardi, both sides of that. The you're suspended, Paul, I love you, but you did this and you are wrong and you're suspended and him being in tears for not protecting Horning. Like that's the just opposite sides of the same coin, really. And I think that's why 
I mean, there's a million reasons why Lombardi was successful as a coach, but I will say to anybody that coaches or about anybody that coaches, if you don't give a shit about your players, I don't care how great with the X's and O's you are, you will never be a great coach in this league. So for all the shit that Bill Belichick takes, and I'm not a huge fan of him, you know there has to be that component. Even though Bill Belichick comes off as a gruff, I don't give a fuck about anybody type guy, I don't feel that that's the case. And I think that that's one of the reasons that Lombardi was a great coach is because he cared about those players as men and not just as cogs in a wheel to become a great team. So I think it's cool. I mean, you said that many times. This guy has come back and this guy has come back and a lot of those people have come back. And I've only followed the Packers this closely. I wonder how many franchises have what the Packers have. I don't think so many. And I, and I, I also think you're right. You know, having those winning teams, winning helps. And, and, and I guess it also helped. It helped keep those guys together for a longer period of time as well, probably. You know, you look at those teams through the 60s. Yes, you know, some guys came and went, but the majority of that team was together through the whole of that period because they were a winning team. And so I, th- I guess that helps to breed those relationships, those friendships, the love that those guys had for each other. Having a positive experience and winning championships and all that, of course, galvanizes your feelings for that group, right? Like, I get that. But I think there's more to it. Average cheese slices. Peter, you are not on top of the average cheese pick them right now. <laughs> I don't know what's happened. I don't either. <laughs> I know where I am. Damn near at the bottom. In fact, of all the active players, I am the worst. Yay, Dale. Looks like DM Reese is in first. NFL out. You and Andy are tied at 109. Do your rant at 108. And our friend from down under, Hound, is he's getting close. 104. Hound, if you're listening to this, I do enjoy the exchange that you and I have during games. I'm sorry that this is the one season that you are able to watch almost every game for. <laughs> it's, like, it's not the season you want to watch every game. Like You could miss a couple games and you probably would have been okay in the season. But Hound, we love you and I appreciate the banter back and forth because you are a super knowledgeable cat. So thank you for that. So Peter... Not far, only a game out. You still got a chance. Otherwise, we're going to be sending Mike a T-shirt. Hopefully, he wears one of the ones I left behind when I was over there. Otherwise, it's going to cost me like $80 in shipping to send it over. And Mike will get that in like 2026 after it goes through customs and all the other shit that it has to go through. But we'll see. There's plenty of games left. And in the Todd jumps into a cold body of water challenge, Rashawn Gary is still leading <laughs> by a half a sack over Aiden Hutchinson. I'm not wishing Aiden Hutchinson gets hurt, but you know, maybe they can shut him down for a couple games and <laughs> join me in that cold jump into the water. A bit of sad news I saw today was the playoff scenarios came out and Minnesota can clinch the division this Sunday. Oh, wow. With, with, a, with a win and a Detroit loss. And I'm thinking it's only November. <laughs> I guess it will be de- it will be December by Sunday, but it's like right. they can they can clinch with like five games to go, and with a, the- with a Detroit <laughs> loss, with a Detroit loss, usually and Detroit Minnesota- is mathematically eliminated in like mid September. <laughs> so it's really <laughs> strange to week, do that. By the end of week two, right? 
Right. Did you watch the uh, Monday night game last night at all? I, no, I didn't. No. I don't know why you would have, but I just. I, so the end of the game. So Jeff Saturday is going to eat a lot of shit just because the way he was hired, right? So it was on Twitter that he bungled the whole time management thing at the end of the game where he called a timeout when he shouldn't have, and he should have. That happens to every coach. I don't care if you've been coaching for 40 years or you've been coaching for four games or whatever Jeff Saturday has done. That's a tough thing to do. In the moment when the clock is ticking that quickly, it's super easy from your couch to be like, call a timeout, call a timeout. You know, like that's easy to do because the time ain't clicking for you as much as it's clicking for, you know, the coach that's trying to make those calls. So I don't, that's all I have for slices. So let's get on to a very entertaining game that the Packers played against the Philadelphia Eagles. When we talked about it last week, I really thought this was going to be a complete blowout game. The Packers were going to get absolutely waxed. And it was, you know, I was thinking late in that game, like if they get a stop right here, it's 3730. <laughs> we could actually it. win this game. <laughs> And they could have. They, they had opportunities. Uh, before we get to the offense, good, bad, and ugly, I said it on Twitter, and I'm going to say it here again on our podcast. How is it that teams can convert such long down and distance against the Packers? Third and 14. It was third and 14 on that last drive, and they get 16. Oh, my God. I wanted to rip my 70-inch TV off the wall at that point. Like, how does that keep happening to the Green Bay Packers? It's not a rhetorical question. If you want to answer, Peter, I know we're going to talk about when we get to the defense, but that is a byproduct of something because it continues to happen game after game. I wish I had the answer. Because you'd be the defensive coordinator of the Green Bay (laughs) Packers right now. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Rather than than, as I tweeted the other night, just a – old fat bloke sitting on my couch yeah same (laughs) same here before we get on with the game peter i'm asking you i know what my opinion is joe barry is the defense coordinator he has not done jack shit with this team which i think is talented i think you believe that too jim leonard is sitting out there it's a guy the packers wanted would you hire jim leonard right now today to take that spot Sit on the fence a little bit. The Packers think that Jim Leonard can do the job at the pro level, and they'll know better than I do. But if they have an inkling that he can do the job at the pro level, then I think you make that move now before somebody else snaps up Jim Leonard. I think if the question were a general question and Jim Leonard wasn't sitting out there and there wasn't necessarily a guy sitting out there, then I think you just let the season play out and see who's available, who becomes available after the season. But I think... If there's a guy out there that you think can do the job, he's sitting right there, then I think, yes. I think for Jim Leonard, you do make you do make that move if they think he's the guy. And I may be wrong about this, but I thought he was the guy. And when he turned it down, they went to Joe Barry. Jim Leonard wanted the Wisconsin job. It's the reason he stayed on as defensive yeah. coordinator. He wanted to be the head coach at the University of Wisconsin where he played He's from Wisconsin. Like, there's so many reasons why Jim Leonard wanted that job. They go with Luke Fickle, who is a great hire. It's a different story for a different day. But now, does he become the defensive coordinator of the Wisconsin Badgers? Because that's what's been put out there on, you know, the Twittersphere. 
that Luke Fickle is talking to Jim Leonard about coming back as the DC of the Wisconsin Badgers. That's yeah, a real I, kick I, in the nuts. If you ask me, I'm telling him to go fuck himself. I don't care if I wanted that job. I'm not taking that job. I'm going to green Bay. This timing couldn't be better for the green Bay Packers. If you thought he was the guy, you are hundred percent right. He will have a job next year. The fact that he still doesn't have a job is a little bit surprising because those defenses at Wisconsin, when he was a defensive coordinator, other than this year, were very good. And not with real high line talent, not with the Quay Walkers and the Devontae Wyatts of the world. They were in the top five in the country almost consistently for a couple of years with guys that are fourth Jack Sanborns of the world. I take that guy and I snatch him right now and I back a Brinks truck up to his house and say, here, whatever you want, you take it. We're fucking firing Joe Barry right now if you'll take the job. I back channel that thing and you're like, dude, it's your job if you want it. Yep, I totally agree. And I, and I think that if I'm Jim Leonard, I don't go back to the Badgers either. I think, you know, been there, done that. You could look on it as saying, I actually did you a favor as well. You know, you decided I'm not the guy well. You're not the team. You're not the team for me either. So that, I guess he and Fickle will have those conversations and what, how, it, how that works out. Well, how it work out. But, but you've got to believe, even if he does go back. And like I say, I wouldn't. It would be for for a pride, pride and ego thing. I wouldn't. But, but even if he does, even if he does go back, you've got to believe that he's the next head coach of a of a college team somewhere. Even if he's with the Badgers for a year. That can't be a long-term thing. The Packers are not quick to jump to make those kind of moves. Never have been. Which, to me, having said that, they weren't quick to jump to make the Mike McCarthy move either. But but what did surprise me was that they made it when they made it. I mean, with, with Leonard out there, I, w- I would make that move. You've got to think of the future. And you don't know who's going to be available in... Even if there's another guy that they like above Leonard, they don't know who's going to be available come January. The Packers don't do this. They are a consistent franchise. They want to do things long-term rather than make knee-jerk reactions. But this scenario has not come up. A guy you wanted now doesn't have a job mid-season. Your guy isn't doing the job. It's different because this will rarely happen where that comes about, where a guy is just sitting there without a job who is a good coach. All right, let's get on to the good, the bad, and the ugly offensively against the Philadelphia Eagles. The Packers scored 33 points, most points this season. Let's start there. You know, when the Packers went down 13 and nothing early in that in that game, that just looked like, well, this, this is done already. But the fact that they bounced back, moved the ball down the field, actually got back in ahead at 14-13, still, I think, all in the first quarter or around the... Mm-hmm. It... Um, you know, the, the offense had a good game to put up 33 points without having a great game. You know, they turned the ball over twice, a couple of interceptions there. And I, and I think there's lots of good performances that you can look at. Christian Watson again, and I think we pick him out because it's exciting. We've been waiting for that breakout. And in the last three, four games, we've seen that breakout. It's the guy that we wanted when they drafted him. To see him make that play, because you can have receivers that make the spectacular catches and all of that kind of thing. But that's the kind of play that he was drafted for. That's the kind of play we used to see James Lofton make 40 years ago. That's the kind of play that we were looking for. And then, of course, I guess we can't talk about the Packers' offense without talking about Jordan Love. He just looked good. 
no other way about it. His footwork looked great. His passes had zip on them. I mean, he's got an arm on him. We've always known that. And he looked accurate. And, and sure, it's a couple of plays in there you'd like possibly like to have back. But I don't think anybody after that performance, albeit he's only thrown seven passes, albeit it's only for a quarter or so, I don't think anybody after that performance can turn around and say, Jordan Love doesn't have a chance. I think as Packers fans, I think those of us that have, which is the vast majority of Packers fans, been wanting to have something, some indication that he's got a chance, I think that that ticked that box. We don't want to get carried away with it. It's easy to sit here and get carried away. Let's not do that. You know, he may go out whatever his next performances will be not quite so good. But we have seen he has the ability whether you can turn a quarter's ability into 17 games remains to be seen, but it's very, very encouraging. Yeah, he was really good. There has been thousands of people talking about we should play Jordan Love so that we can see what we have in him because he's going to be the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers. Peter, I don't understand how that's going to happen. So Jordan Love is on the third year of a four-year contract with a possible fifth-year option. We all know that. So Aaron Rodgers, we already said he isn't cuttable with a $99 million dead cap. If we cut him, we can't even field a team next year, (laughs) right? So that can't happen. Jordan Love then has his fourth year. Can the Packers, in your mind, sign the fifth-year tender with Jordan Love and have Aaron Rodgers on the roster? On the face of it, no. So here's, here's my thinking, though. Right? And this might not be what we want to hear. Right? But I do. I want to hear your opinion. That's why I asked you. <laughs> here's, here's my thinking. The Packers have backed themselves into, into a corner here by trying to play both sides, by not making a decisive decision on both players in the offseason. So they made a decisive decision on Aaron Rodgers in the offseason. Whatever we, anybody thinks about it, they made the decision big contract at that point in my view they had to make a decision about Jordan Love that said if Rogers is my guy and I've just signed him to a a massive extension then I have to shop Jordan Love and get what I can for him at that point so I have to make the decision on both of those guys so they, they didn't do that so where we are now I think that the Packers quarterback situation still revolves around unfortunately for me revolves around what the player wants to do in terms of what Aaron Rodgers wants to do Because if he wants to come back next year, i.e. doesn't retire, then I think the Packers, unless they can trade him, and I I would imagine his trade value right now is not very high, given what's happened this year, given the injuries, given he's 39 years old, will be 40 years old next season, and the contract situation, which is probably the biggest factor. So they wouldn't get huge compensation in in a trade for him, assuming that there's a team that would want to trade for that contract. On that basis, if Rodgers decides to come back next year, then I think what we're seeing, unfortunately, in Jordan Love, what we saw this past weekend and any playing time he gets this year, is an audition for another team. I was hoping you were going to give me a different scenario, Peter. Right. (laughs) And what he may have done, what he may have done in, in throwing those seven passes this past weekend is secured the Packers a, let's call it a second round draft pick for his services in April. It might be higher than that. There may be a team towards the end of the first round that's willing to give you back the first rounder you spent three years ago. The trade scenario might be different. It might be to move up in the draft or whatever it is. Unfortunately, because I would like to see the Packers be more decisive on this, 
or have been previously have been more decisive. I, I think that to repeat myself, I think what we may be seeing, or what we may have seen, is an audition for another team. Tried and tried to figure out how does this work? How does this transition work? And I just don't see it. Every time someone brings it up, I'm like, tell me how. Tell me how that possibly works. Because, yeah, nobody's going to trade for $60 million Aaron Rodgers next year. I can't believe they would. You'd have to have so much room in your cap to be able to do that. And there's probably a couple of teams out there that could do it. But would they? I wouldn't. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is getting hurt. He's gotten hurt twice this season. He hurt the oblique or the ribs or whatever it was against Philadelphia. He's got the thumb thing. And I'm not saying that makes him injury prone, but he's going to be 40. He can't get out of the way of guys coming after him. He is more likely to be injured because of that. I am now disappointed Jordan Love is not going to play quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. After watching that, there's a lot of things that he has gotten better at this season. I will also argue that Jordan Love as the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers would be as successful as the Aaron Rodgers-led Packers because Jordan Love runs the plays as they are written in the playbook. And for young guys who only know the playbook and barely that, what Jordan Love gives them is simplicity. And gives them, this is what we're running. This is the route you need to run. And if you run it right, I'm going to throw you the football. Whereas Aaron Rodgers is used to playing with veteran guys. And he looks at them and he nods. And they're like, oh, yeah, I know what the fuck that means. Aaron mean, is checking down or doing something different. And I'm going to run a different route. I think that Jordan Love would be helping these young guys just with the simplicity of the offense. And there's an interesting thing. When you look back over recent years, it used to be, didn't it, that quarterback was such a difficult position to come in and play that guys would sit for two or three years, they'd learn the playbook and, and all of this stuff. We know that from the Aaron Rodgers days, but even going back before that. But with the way that the rules are, it's made playing quarterback in the NFL, coming in and playing quarterback early in your career, easier, easier than it's ever been. And it's interesting when you look at, the likes of even a Patrick Mahomes, who's obviously, you know, a fantastic, fantastic quarterback, but even like Russell Wilson, you know, in the mid-10s and probably a bunch of other guys who actually were very successful in their first one or two years as a starter and haven't quite got back to that level. Part of that is because salaries, their salaries increase and therefore that affects the salary cap for the rest of the team or whatever else. But I also wonder whether there's not something kind of following on or picking up from what you what you said is that is that when they're rookies, when they're first or second year guys, by that I mean the same with Jordan Love, who's not played for three years. So when he does play, it'll be his first year. They're running the plays as designed. They're not audibling out of so many plays. They're not ad-libbing so much and the offenses tend to be more successful and I wonder whether as they in a bizarre way this oughtn't to be the way but in a bizarre way as they get more comfortable with the offense they ad-lib a bit more they run more audibles whatever else it puts an extra strain on those receivers and offensive linemen and whatever else that actually diminishes the offense slightly look at you know Russell Wilson is a case in point for me and and I might be 
correlation's not always causation or, or vice versa. You have to be a little bit careful here. But, you know, you look at Russell Wilson was very successful, won a Super Bowl, went back to another Super Bowl. And whilst the Seahawks are st were still a good team for the remainder of his time there, they never got back there. And I know other stuff happened in the, in the team, but you look at Patrick Mahomes, was a hit as soon as he came in. And he's still, obviously, a very, very fine quarter. But they've not won another one. Yes, they've been back, but they've not won another one. I don't know. It's just something in the back of my mind that says those first couple of years when they're not doing all of that off-script stuff may be their best years. I think yeah. that there's something to run the play as called because we are understanding how we're doing this in the whole scheme of things. I'm not... I don't know. So let's go back to the good, the bad, the ugly, because I am way off topic. I thought A.J. Dillon was very good in this game. I thought that he started to run downhill. He's not a guy. I'll compare him to Ron Dane a little bit. Ron Dane was a huge man who needed a hole to run through, and then he was most effective in, at the second level, not only in the pros, but in college too. When he played at Wisconsin, you and I could have ran through those holes because they were like a truck, you could have drove a truck through them. AJ Dillon reminds me of Ron Dane in that where if he's going to run into the back of his lineman, because that's where he's supposed to go, he's not going to often get off of that and then make play. He needs a hole to run through. And when he does run through that hole and he runs shoulders down into a defensive back or a smaller linebacker, those guys get sick of getting punched in the face. And I thought if the Packers would have been ahead in this game, I think they would have rolled over because I think then they would have just kept running Dylan over and over and over again. And then the Philadelphia would have gave up and been laying on the ground in between plays instead of the Packers. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great point. And I, and, I, and I think the thing with Dylan, um, I think he's simply one of those backs that a, you have to, you have to make a hole. It doesn't necessarily have to be a huge hole, but he, but also I think he's one of those backs that is designed to carry the football 30 times a game. 35 times a game. It's going to be one of those backs that in the fourth quarter, when you've tried to tackle him 33 times or whatever whatever it is up to that point, he's running over you because you no longer want any of that. And I think he's that type of back. So I'm not sure that being in a split backfield, splitting carries with Aaron Jones or any other back, a, a, a in other, suits his game. And that's just unfortunate. You know, um, Nobody's saying we should use Aaron Jones less. Absolutely not. We've been saying all season we should use him more, and we're still saying that. But I think that A.J. Dillon's that guy that's suited to be carrying the ball just as much in the fourth quarter as he was in the first quarter, and a featured back on a... It feels, yeah, it feels to me like a New York, you know, mentioned Ron Dane. A.J. Dillon feels like a New York Giants type of running back. Who, yeah. where, they featured, where they featured a run. And it's one guy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Aaron Jones had a nice game too. The other side of the A.J. Dillon uh, backfield. Almost 100 yards. He had 99 combined yards rushing and receiving. I know we'll talk about this in the offseason, but I don't know what you do with Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is in that spot right now where you got to shit or get off the pot with him. Like you got to either say he's the guy I know he dropped that ball, which was an absolute perfect pass from Jordan Love. But, I mean, that's going to happen. But that wheel route with a back shoulder fade, how many running backs can do that? There Not aren't so many. many. Yep. Yeah. He's a dynamic player. I love watching him. And I'm going to be sad if he is not on this roster again. Bad offensively. 
Well, I've mentioned that I've you know I've mentioned the two turnovers, the two interceptions. You can't you you know in a game that turns out to be close, you can't you can't have those. You know you have to win that turnover battle, and it's amazing. Packers lost the turnover battle two to one, and it's amazing when you look at that one turnover difference. Nearly always equates to somewhere between six or eight points on the scoreboard. Nearly every time, and that was the case in in this game. So you can't you can't have those turnovers. I thought the offensive line, particularly in the running game, did a did a good job. I'm not sure what was going on with the pass protection. It's difficult. We need to go back and look at it multiple times, probably, to work out whether the pass protection broke down or whether Aaron Rodgers was partially responsible for some of those sacks. I'm not. I'm not sure. When Aaron Rodgers gets rushed from the guard center hole, he is struggling to back out of there. When it comes from the sides, he's able to scramble out of the pocket. But when it's in his face, it's like he doesn't want to throw the ball or he's there's nobody open. I don't know that. I'm not blaming it on Rodgers. But he struggles with that in-your-face rush right now. Man, this is – I can't remember a time where Aaron Rodgers was this bad at throwing interceptions. This has to be – and I'm not looking at it – one of the worst – interception percentages of his career. I want to say, I, I read something online earlier. It said that the number of interceptions he's thrown at this point in the season is the most that he's thrown since 2010. Okay. So I decided I would look it up while you were talking. <laughs> his interception percentage in 2008, so the first time he played real games, was 2.4%. Then you got then 2010. 2.3. That's the season you're just talking about. That worst percentage was 2017. He had 2.5% interception rate. Right now it's at 2.3. Yeah. And maybe it just feels like because the expectations of Aaron Rodgers in my mind are so much higher that I didn't care about it when he was a rookie. Like that's just to be expected. But now a man coming off back-to-back -back MVP with, you know, two of the highest quarterback ratings he's ever had. I just expect more. Maybe that's why I'm thinking that way. I don't know if there was an ugly. I would maybe argue that the two interceptions were ugly, but we just talked about them. We've gone, or at least I've gone ad nauseum on the tight end room. I watched the Cowboys and I think, damn, I really like Jake Ferguson. I know that I have bias because he is, was a Badger, but I look at him play the tight end position and think that's exactly the guy we needed. And we passed on him. I don't know, what is he, a fifth-round pick, fourth? I don't remember what he was in the draft. But he wasn't drafted in the first three rounds. The Packers had a bunch of times that they could have picked him, and I wish they would have because I think he's an answer. And it's interesting, isn't it, when you, know, when you look at the Cowboys, and I, and I can't rattle off the names, and if I've done some research before I came on here, I would have been able to rattle off the names. But they're a franchise that, for whatever reason, always seems to be able to find tight ends. Yeah, always seem Jay to... Novacek, man. There's a million yeah. dudes down that list. You know, Jason Witten and Jason then Witten. guy after guy after guy. Mm -hmm. um, conversely, you know, the Packers certainly in the in the Aaron Rodgers era, if you like, the Mike McCarthy era, whatever you want to call that onwards, we just haven't had... Had the one guy. haven't found any. Yeah, um, Jermichael Finley, you know, that's it. Jermichael Finley was, was the guy, would have been the guy without the neck injury. You know, in the decade or so since... Since he unfortunately retired, Richard yeah. Rogers was okay, solid. You know, had a season with 50, 50 catches or so, and is still but, in the league. Know, by the way, I just saw him playing with yeah. the Chargers the other day. But you know, they haven't had the guy that consistently, year in, year out, 
50 or 60 catches for four or five years on the trot, that guy, you know, eight or nine touchdowns, stretches the field a little bit down the seams. They haven't had that guy for a long, long time. Why does Baltimore have Mark Andrews and fucking Isaiah Likely? What the heck's going on there? (laughs) So like an embarrassment of riches with those clowns. No good. They've got to address it in the draft next year. I know we'll talk about, you know, down the road somewhere, but I feel like they have to address it. If Tanyan is not going to be right, he's not going to be the playmaker after the knee injury. We don't know. You know, maybe next year he'll come back, you know, closer to form. They got to do something. Mercedes Lewis has to go. I am a huge Mercedes Lewis guy, but he's just a guy now. Love that guy, but I'm sorry, brother. It's time for you to go because you don't really add anything to the team other than you're a super locker room guy. We can't just have you as this good locker room guy when we have no nothing coming out of that position. Uh, defensively, hard to say when there's you know when you gave up forty <laughs> right and you gave up yeah, it's, a ton of yards on the ground. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a struggle to come up with anything that we'll get onto the the bad in a minute. I I, I guess an eggbari, an egg bar as it's really pronounced. Um, an egg bar. Yeah, I gotta start saying it right if I'm gonna be a podcaster. Well, <laughs> um, you know, flashed a little bit and shows promise for for the future. But I'm really I'm really struggling to think of anything too positive to say. Right. If you look down the stat line, you go, oh wow, Quay Walker had 11 tackles. That's great. And Adrian Amos had nine and Rudy Ford had nine. Well, that's because they ran fucking like 90 plays on offense. Someone had to tackle somebody on every play. <laughs> it's really hard to come up with a good, you know, Justin Hollins, we pull you off the shit heap and you have a sack yeah. in your first game. So good on you, brother. A good, yeah. It's really hard to come up with a good other than, you know, they did turn the ball over. So yeah, yeah. they did have that strip. That was a big play in the game. It should have, could have turned the momentum and did kind of. So absolutely, that that big play, and they had the big stop on fourth on fourth down, which yeah, you know was the was the was one of the weirdest plays you've ever seen where the center wouldn't let go of the ball. But yeah, <laughs> oh, I wanted to text you on that play so badly. Like you can't advance a fumble, but it almost looked like he snapped it to Miles Sanders because yeah. if he never let go of the ball. And Sanders grabbed it, like, then it wasn't a fumble? Like, I don't know. I had so many questions on that play. That's like a new take on the old fumble ruski play. Yeah. Just hold it up on your ass until someone grabs it. (laughs) Man, I know Uh, we're going all over the place, Peter, and I'm sorry about this, but so on a kick, on a field goal, you cannot boost a player to block a kick, Correct then why the fuck can you push a guy from behind so he gets the first down? I know, it's 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 a weird one, and that's a rule change in the last couple of years, and I think that I don't really understand. I I, I think they made the rule change, or I, actually I think it became a point of emphasis rather than a rule change because everybody was doing it, and I think they just got so confused as to when, when, when to blow a whistle. On, yeah, but it is ridiculous now because... You know, you, you kind of feel like, you know, particularly alluding to the quarterback sneak in particular, you kind of feel like, well, I'll line up my five offensive linemen. I guess you've got to have seven guys on the line of scrimmage, but everybody else, I'm going to line up behind the quarterback in a line. Yeah, and push the him biggest, in the back. Yeah, yeah, the biggest the biggest blokes I've got, I'll get my backup offensive linemen to stand behind the quarterback and and we'll all just push from there. 
it is it's like crazy. the old NFL, right? Where they just yeah. wedge forward. <laughs> I feel yeah. like you could do that successfully a lot. Yeah, that was really strange. So there, there wasn't much good. How about the bad? Because well, can we just should we just go right to the ugly? Okay, it's, it's all bad and ugly. <laughs> it is all but, bad and ugly. It's just going to mix yeah. into one. As I said earlier, at some point during the game on Sunday night, I tweeted, "Look, I'm just an old fat bloke sitting on my couch." but I can tell that they're going to run, <laughs> right? And at some point, you know, even if that's not your game, but at some point you have to you have to sell out on the run if you can't stop it, right? Because we talk about this being a passing league and all, of, and all of this. That's okay. But when they're picking up eight yards a pop, nine yards a pop, 15 yards a pop, six yards a pop, every single running play, at some point, you have to make an effort to stop it. And I know that Joe Barry's system's not designed to do that. He likes playing the two high safeties. Dom Capers was the same because they both have this philosophy, I believe. Running doesn't beat you in today's NFL. Well, it damn well beat the Packers the other night. I think what makes it doubly worse, if you go back to the Tennessee game, so the, the game before, Tennessee passed for more yards than they passed for against anybody this season right, over 300 and whatever. And to put that in perspective, in more than half of their games, Tennessee's passed for less than 200 yards. And in two of their games, they passed for less than 100 yards, right? Holy smokes. So, 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 <laughs> so Tennessee was able to pass all over the Packers the week before. This week, the Eagles were able to run all over the Packers. So it's not there now like you're trying to fix one problem is you've got multiple problems. You can't stop the run or the pass. It doesn't matter. And I never thought that I would have to do this, which is why I didn't have the number to hand. I had to scramble to get the Packers record books out to at some point during the second half to find um, the most rushing yards that the Packers had ever given up in a game. Because when 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 the Eagles got were approaching 300, I thought, well, they're going to rush for 400 yards here. Yeah. And probably would have done if... If Love had come in and, and done a couple of three-and-out series, which had given the Eagles the ball, you know, for another five or ten plays, they probably would have rushed for 400-plus yards. Put that in perspective. If you think that your team rushes for 150 yards in a game, you think, actually, you know what, we've run that football really well. They ran for 363 <laughs> yards, and it could have been 963. Yes. <laughs> it was... Uh, you know, we, you know, and we think back to Colin Kaepernick running all over the Packers and all of that stuff, and how frustrating and how annoying that was. They still didn't rush for three hundred and sixty-three yards. I don't think against the the Packers. Right. Was, I mean, that is nineteen thirties football, and and I guess the inability, the inability to adjust to bring extra guys in the box, whatever it was, I don't know the reasons. If plays are beating you, you have to find a way to stop those plays even if that might expose you to other plays. Well, so be it. But you've got to stop the ones that are beating you, and they just they just couldn't. And by the way, before you dive in, <laughs> while I'm on a rant, <laughs> I'm not having this stuff about injuries. Yes, I know Campbell wasn't playing. Yes, I know Eric Stokes is injured. Yes, I know Savage was injured. Everybody's um, got injuries this time of the year. Every, everybody's got injuries this time of year. I'm just not, I'm just not having that. Sorry, I've, no. I've, I've over-ranted. <laughs> no, you haven't. There's no such thing on this show. The thing that makes me the most mental of all the things, and I'm, I'm with you on the last week, 
You sold out against the run. That's why they had to pass. Because you put more guys in the box, put big guys on the line of scrimmage, and said, you're going to have to throw the football to beat us. That's what they said against Tennessee. Derrick Henry did not beat us. I thought they did a very good job of defending the run. Why can't you do it the next week? Why wouldn't you try it the next week? You already have done it. It's not unprecedented. You just did it seven, 10 days ago, whatever it was. Do it again. Why would the Eagles pass if they could continually run the football over and over and over again and you do nothing to stop it? They are going to switch gears, yes, when you decide to stop the run, but you can't just let them continue to do it. Joe Barry should have been fucking fired that day for that. That day. It's embarrassing. And if somebody else, if somebody else tweets or sends me a Facebook message that says, yeah, but the Packers are the number four defense against the pass, I will... You'll lose your shit. I will swear on this podcast, I'll tell you, because... because they're sure they're num- sure they don't they're have to four. throw the ball against us. That's why. <laughs> there we go. It's like the rugby. First, they could just run it every play. Run. <laughs> 363 yards. You put it in perspective much better than I ever could. 363 yards is what teams get in complete offenses on a lot of weeks. They also threw the ball for another 153. So that's 516 yards of offense. If I'm doing that math right. Yet the Packers were still in this game the entire time, which is very bizarre. It kind of masks how bad the defense was because the Packers put up 33 and were in this game and did, you know, cause that fumble. And Quay Walker was like gassed trying to run down the sideline. But it just masks it. It was the worst defense that I can ever remember in the 40-something years of watching Packers football. And again, yes, there's a couple guys injured. But if Campbell was playing and Stokes was playing, what difference would it have made? None. Because Devondre Campbell, as good as he is, isn't going to stop the run by himself. And Eric Stokes certainly isn't. He ain't going to even stick his nose in there. He's not going to try to stop the run. Oh, just bizarre. Again, Joe Barry should be fired right now. And the Packer media, to their credit, is starting to hint towards it in the press press conferences with Matt LaFleur. Good for them. Because everybody's thinking it. How can it get worse? Sorry. It can't get worse. It will not get worse if you could run it with Jerry Gray, just let Barry go and let Jerry Gray run it for the rest of the season as an interim guy, anybody, you and I can go up in the booth and start calling plays. It'll be better. I mean, there's so many things that you can pick on. You can pick on individual plays and wonder what on earth's going on. The play with Jair Alexander. Just standing you know, there waiting for the ball to call them like he's in what, sixth what, grade. You know, it's one of the top corners in, in the league, but goodness me. Now, but it's one play, and you don't really want to pick on one play. We don't know what was – that one play is kind of a, a microcosm because if you get that from who's probably your best player on defence, goodness gracious. The other thing I don't like – this isn't a, a Packers-specific thing. You see this from lots of te- teams, but it's one of the most annoying things that I, I see in football. 
is when players start jawing or celebrating make, making a tackle. Yeah, but you're 14 points down and there's yeah, five minutes left. Buddy. And you go, yeah, yeah, scoreboard. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. And that that's not a criticism really of the Packers per se. I just happened to see a couple couple of instances of that this week. But lots of players do it across the league and whatever else. And it's just look up at the scoreboard. And I am a big Jair Alexander fan. I like the way he plays. I like that he plays with attitude. I wish there were a couple other Packers that would play with more attitude. But you need to back that attitude up on the field with your play, not celebrate with sheathing your sword back in when you tackle the dude after eight yards or after you completely whiffed or got smoked on the first the play before that. Like, I don't know what is going on inside the Packers locker room and inside those rooms, but Jerry Gray needs to tell Alexander, just fucking play. Stop with the theatrics and stop the guy in front of you. Do that. Do your job. Because this doesn't look like the guy the Packers paid a boatload of money to. It looks like the guy who, I don't know. I don't know what to say. He's not the same guy. He has not been the same guy this season. And I'm a little concerned because they've got a lot of money tied up in him as well. (sighs) My blood pressure is super high right now. Let's talk about the special teams, though. The special teams is great. I mean, Keyshawn Nixon had those two special kickoff returns. I, I think um, I think I should give credit. I think it was Matt Schneidman. I might be wrong, but I think it was Matt Schneidman that posted. It might have been Rob Demosky. I can't. One of the Matt, guys. I think it was Matt Schneidman. Yep. We cite our sources here on the average chief. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Posted about, you know, his 250-plus yards kickoff returns being the first time a player's done that in the NFL this season in a single game. For the um, Green Bay Packers. That was encouraging. Of course, the downside to that is you then go back to the questions that we've all been asking for the last, I don't know how many weeks, as to why hasn't that happened earlier, but hey-ho. That was encouraging. The missed extra point, not so much. <laughs> but, but, you know, you, you, <laughs> there's always going to It's a pack of special teams. There's always going to be one play that, you can't be perfect. The Packers special teams <laughs> cannot be perfect. There's no 100% ever. Keyshawn Nixon averaged 34.4 yards per kickoff return. I now have anointed him zero fucks. He gives zero fucks about what where that kick is. He is running it out. He's going to be, you know how they do those long field goals in college and the guy reaches up and tries to grab it as it's going through the, that's going to be Keyshawn Nixon. He's going to be back there at the end line trying to jump up and grab a football and run it out. That's him. And I, God say, let's make it happen, Keyshawn. And, and you know what? They weren't just long returns where, you, where it looked like, well, yeah, he's going to hit the wall and, and be tackled. He looked like there he, were holes he could, there. Yeah. Yeah. And he looked like he could create holes. He looked like he could, he could really move at shifty feet and that that he could have gone all the way on any of those kick returns, yeah. which is very encouraging. The very one I thought he was going for sure, he kind of stumbled, or I think he would have scored on that. And I don't know if it's coaching or it's just having the right guys back there. Honestly, I don't care. Yeah. Because I said it last week or the week before, good special teams would have put the Packers in a Super Bowl and probably would have won it for them last year. Yeah, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. The Packers play a game next week, too. A game they might win. Mm-hmm. I mean, might. I'm not. I'm not trying to go out. You know, and say they're going to, but they might. 
I mean, was this encouraging? Just to finish up on this game, are you encouraged by this game that they just played with Philadelphia, or are you discouraged? That's a great question. I think there were there were encouraging there were encouraging things in this game. I'm probably in about the same place I was before the game. So I think I would have been completely discouraged had Jordan Love not come into the game and did what he did at, towards the end of it. That probably took me back to an equilibrium. Um, and with the defense being that bad, but seeing flashes of Jordan Love, yeah. the Packers scored 33, so that's positive. They could have gave up 96 <laughs> in this game. So that's the worry, isn't it? You know, that's the, that's the first game this season where the offense has clearly come together enough to put up 33 points, but you kind of felt like they could have put scored 63 and it wouldn't have been enough. So the Arlington Heights Bears, it's in Chicago. The Packers are two-and-a-half-point favorites against the Bears. In Arlington Heights, well, it's still in Chicago for now. But Yeah, I mean, what's bizarre about this is that somebody's going to correct me, but I think it was week two of this season that the Packers finally tied the Bears for all-time wins in NFL history. And now they've both been losing consistently since then. Right, and so, but, <laughs> you know, and, and so you think, you're thinking at that point, well, the Packers are just going to move past them, no problem. Well, they've never moved above the Bears ever since they got to that tie in week, which I think was week two. So Justin Fields is out, right? Maybe. It's oh. kind of been they've kind of been muddy. They haven't really it, said. Yeah, it's kind of like I, I saw something last last week or leading up to this week's game that said it could be out for the season, but it's day to day. It's like <laughs> what? <laughs> he should be out for the season then if you're talking that way. But my gosh. <laughs> There's so many question marks about about this Packers team. We don't even know if Rodgers is going to play. I think all indications are that he will play. It's been a long time, hasn't it, if ever, that we've gone into a game wondering whether Rodgers or the backup quarterback gives the Packers a better chance to win. <laughs> and I'm not sure. And, and you know, and, and I'm not talking about MVP level Aaron Rodgers. We're talking about Aaron Rodgers right this now. season with a broken thumb, with a oblique injury, with all of that stuff. We're talking about Aaron Rodgers right now on this day. Does he give the Packers a better chance to win than Jordan Love? I don't know. I'd say no. Um, I don't think yeah. so. And I'm not beating up on Aaron Rodgers here. Yeah. This is just my assessment of right now. Again, it's a very small sample size for Jordan Love. You just watched him throw nine passes. One of them Christian yeah. Watson took to the house. That's a Christian Watson play rather than a Jordan Love play. But you saw the other passes, and he was very accurate with his throws, which has not been the case in the preseason or any other game he's ever played in. I would say he gives us a better chance to win. It's the Bears, though. And I think that matters for Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers will play as well. I'm going to make the assumption that Aaron Rodgers plays. Are you asking me for a score? I can't remember the question now. No, I'm just I'm just <laughs> asking you what you think about the game. And we can get to the score in a minute. I know I said that the Packers are two-and-a-half-point favorites and blah, blah, blah. But we're looking at a Bears team who is kind of – they're in the same boat as the Packers at the quarterback position. Do you play Justin Fields in a game that is – not important. The Bears aren't going to the playoffs. And the Packers aren't going to the playoffs either, even though they're probably not mathematically eliminated as of yet. I can't imagine there's any circumstance that I would play Justin Fields in this game. If he has a separated shoulder, what? What? You're already going to get a high pick from the Rams. You're also going to get your own high pick if you lose these games. It makes no sense to me 
to put Justin Fields out there. You are absolutely obligated to keep him on the bench to protect him from himself. And you're going to better the franchise if you lose games. Jordan Love should start and Trevor Simeon and whoever the fuck the Bears have on the other side should also start. This should be a battle of the backup quarterbacks. And then we win for sure because they won't be able to score. But I, I just don't understand it e- from either side why you would play your starting quarterback in this game. Given the quarterback situations, I think the Bears are going to come out and try and run the football. Montgomery, I guess, they're going to run and run and run until the Packers stop the run. Now, Which they may not try to do. They may not try to do. Or maybe this is the week where they do try to do it, like they did against the Titans two games ago. Let's hope so. <laughs> maybe they do it every other game. Maybe that's what's going on here. Yeah, it's every other um, game. I mean, what I, what I would say, whichever whichever way the quarterback situation works out, the Packers have the advantage at that position. I think that will be enough for the Packers just in this game. It should be. I mean, you look at the Bears roster. They got rid of Robert Quinn. Their middle linebacker is now Jack Sanborn, Wisconsin's own Jack Sanborn. Like, they've gotten rid of the guys on the roster, Roquan Smith. The two stars on their defense are gone. You should be able to score points on this team if you scored against the Philadelphia Eagles. They're going to st- probably start a backup quarterback. This, is, should, this should be a game that the Packers win. But then I said that like eight times this season against the Commanders and the Jets and the Giants and the Lions. Anything else about the Bears before we do give a score prediction? Wouldn't it be just ironic that this, this is the, the week that EQ St. Brown has a breakout as a breakout game? Two, you've got two teams that are whose season's done. They're not in dissimilar places. I think it's a game because of the rivalry. Yeah, you know, it's, it's that makes that will always make the Packers Bears game. Yeah, that's I mean, it. Every, it. I was about to say, to a degree, it reminds me of some of those '80s Packers Bears games, but it doesn't really because the no. Bears were good. The Bears were good, and the Packers were bad back then. Has there been a time in our lifetimes where both the Packers and the Bears were bad football teams? Quite an interesting one because you look at, you know, the history in our in our life. So let's go back to kind of 1980 onwards. When one of the teams has been good, generally the other one's been bad and, mm-hmm. and vice versa. I guess 2010, they were both good. They played in the NFC Championship game. But other than that, it's generally one's been pretty good and one's been pretty bad. All right. Um, so let's pick it. Now, that I've looked at three different websites and the odds are different on every one of them. So we're going to like average them out. And I'm going to say the Packers are three-point favorites. The over-under is 43 and a half. Again, the Packers are three-point favorites on the road at Chicago, noon game. I don't think the Packers cover a three-point. The winning margin might be three points. I think it's three points or less. I think the Packers win, but it's three points or less. So depending on where that spread goes. And I, and I think I think there'll be 30-something points scored total in the game. So I think I'm going, I'm going the under. So it's going to be an ugly football game. I, th- I think it'll be an ugly football game, and I, but I also think that both teams are going to try and run the football a lot. It'll be in December, which shortens the game. Yeah. Okay. For me, it really depends on whether Justin Fields plays, not whether Aaron Rodgers plays. I think that there's more of a, I don't know, imbalance with the Bears, with their quarterback to back up than there is for ours. I would love to see Love and Simeon. I think that'd be super fun because then I could make fun of all my Bears fans, friends. Because uh, Trevor Simeon is really bad. 
I think the Packers win this game 20 to 10. So that will be the under and that will be the Packers will cover. I don't think fields will play. So that's where I'm getting my 10 from. And the Packers may turn the ball over and have a short field and be able to score that way. So I say 2010 Packers. I think we've covered everything really and, and much more than everything. Yes, we did this week. So. <laughs> All right. So thanks for listening to episode 105 of the average cheese podcast, the Paul Horning episode. Go Pat, go. Go Pat, go.